Well, I want to ask you this morning, um, did you spend much time waiting this past week? Did you spend time waiting? Maybe you were put on hold during a phone call, or maybe you sat in traffic on Interstate 84. Um, I actually stood on the uh, checkout line at Costco this past week, and, and, and my technique for doing that is uh, as I near the checkout area, I always do this split-second analysis of which lane to enter into, right? How many of you know that that is a critically important uh, decision? And, and you have to factor some things into this decision, not only the number of people ahead of you in the lane, but also how large the pile of groceries or items they have in their cart. And, um, and so, yeah, I turn it into a little bit of a game, and I have to tell you this past visit, I lost the waiting game. I, I lost it. I, t- I chose the wrong lane. I thought I chose a good lane. There was a guy in front of me. He didn't have a lot of items with him, um, but he went to the register, and things just went downhill from there. There was commotion, and there was back and forth, and, and the line is building up, and I'm just watching to my left and to my right on both aisles. There, there are people who got there after me, and they're leaving before me, and, and that's just... That's just wrong. Um, I was just stuck there. Um, but the truth is, we all play the waiting lane, waiting game. Uh, we, we wait more than we'd like to. And the question is not, will we wait? The question is, how will we wait? And uh, we started a new series last week. The series is called Testify, and we're spending some time opening up the book of Acts this fall. This, this fall. It, it, it tells the story of how this thing that we call church got started, and, and it's the story of how an extraordinary God empowers and works through ordinary people to testify, to bear witness to his son Jesus, to, to the world around us. And, and that's how church got started, and it's also how church continues to go about and run today. And so in, in the passage this morning that we're going to look at, it, it tells the story of the apostles playing kind of this, um, this waiting game, um, waiting um, in between these major moments for the next thing to happen. You know, Jesus had just ascended, we looked at last week, and, and now they're waiting for the, the next big thing, which is a really big thing. It's the grand arrival of the Holy Spirit, who is about to come down to earth in an unprecedented way, and that's all about to go down. But before that happens, um, the apostles spend a, just a, a period of time waiting. And, and so, as we look at how they waited um, and how God used that season of waiting in their lives, my hope is that maybe we can track a little bit with that to see and get a better sense of how, how, how we can work out um, our periods of waiting, our seasons of waiting, and, 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 and win the waiting game, um, the times of waiting that we're in. So, if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 1, and uh, we're going to read right here, starting with verse 12. So here's what it says. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room 
where they were staying. Okay, so um, we're going to stop right there. And the first point I want to make is, is while we wait, we can also obey. Um, and, uh, and this kind of uh, goes along with Jesus' final instruction, where Jesus told his apostles uh, to stay in a particular place. His, his final directive for them was to return and to remain in a particular location. We looked at it last week. It's in verse 4 where he, it says, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So the idea is that Jerusalem was going to be ground zero for what was going to happen next. And, and Jesus wanted them to be there but, but Luke, who's writing this, he, he, he specifies that what Jesus was telling them, it wasn't like, hey, guys, here's a suggestion from a friend. You may want to consider this. It says, no, he, he ordered them. He, he charged them. This was an order from their commander-in-chief. Wait within the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And so... As we pick it up this week, how significant is it that the very first thing that we read about are, are the apostles carrying out their master's command? They, they hike down the Mount of Olives, and they walk into Jerusalem, and, and it specifies this is a short trip. It's a Sabbath day journey, which translates into just over a half mile, and, and they made their way to the upstairs room of what must have been a very large house, and and there they just, they, they set up shop. That, that became their waiting room. That, that turned into their temporary living quarters while they were waiting for what God had next. And, and, and what's fascinating to me about this is that at this point of the story, these guys really, they have no clue what they're in for, right? We, we can read Acts chapter 2 right after Acts chapter 1, but they couldn't. They have... They have no idea about the magnitude of what was about to happen next. All they knew was that they had one thing to do, one simple, to, one simple directive, and, and it was to take that next step of obedience. Go to Jerusalem. And they did. They stayed in Jerusalem like they were told. And, and the reality is that's... That's the way that we live as well. In, in all of our lives, it always comes down to just taking that next step, taking that next step of obedience. And, and for us, oftentimes it comes into just this idea of, of having an open Bible and having an open heart and asking, Lord, what are, what are your orders? What's your charge for me? And when that becomes clear, Proceed. Do it without delay. You know, their motivation at this point was not to do something great for Jesus, right? That wasn't even on their radar screen. They were still trying to figure this whole thing out. It was, it was one thing. It was simply, we're going to follow the charge of our commander-in-chief. And, and for us as well, there's, there is no greater reason we could ever have or ever find to take our own next steps than to just do it for one simple reason, out of obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of how consequential it may seem or not, regardless of how big or small it appears, it always comes down to taking that next step. And so as, as we keep 
open Bibles and open hearts, the Lord makes his call known. He makes his charge known to us. And, and here's the thing. Um, when that happens, that's not the time to decide whether I'm in agreement with the commands that have been given to me, right? That, that decision is made in advance, okay? Um, obedience is that, it's that disposition that says, Lord, no matter what it is you're asking me, no matter where it is you're calling me, the moment that's become clear, it's done. I'm going to move forward with that. There's no consideration, there's no wrestling through it. The resolve is made in advance. Give you an example from my life from, from years ago. Um, when Diane and I uh, were engaged, um, we were both um, working in, in, in a ministry environment. We were both youth group leaders on a volunteer basis. We were young. We had full-time jobs working 50, 60 hours a week, and, and, and we went into the pastor's office, and, uh, you know, we went for premarital counseling, sat down with him, and, um, you know, he talked about the importance of the first year of marriage, how urgent it is to lay the right foundations and to not be too scattered, not to have so many things going on so you're not able to invest in that one important relationship. And we were like, that, that's, that's so right. We received that as the word from the Lord for us, and what that meant was really heart-wrenching because what it meant was that we were going to have to give up ministry give up ministry. We both had full-time jobs in the business world. We didn't have time to work and lay that right foundation for our marriage and still do uh, the youth ministry that, that God had just poured love into our hearts for. And, and that, was like, that was like ripping out our hearts. Uh, there was no question that it was the right thing to do, but I got to tell you, um, this was, what, 26, 27 years ago, I was pretty convinced that when we made that decision to stop, that there would never be an open door to re-enter into ministry. I, I thought that was it. And um, I had no idea how God was going to work through that. And that's a whole other story that we don't have time to, to, to get into. Um, but it's amazing to see how God works. As his people, just take that next step. Obey. Trust and obey. Uh, there is no other way, and, 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 and there's no substitute for that simple obedience. We see it here, and it plays out in our lives on a daily basis. Let's keep reading. Um, it says this, And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All right. I love that Luke includes this roll call. Like, here are the names. This is the official list of the original apostles. And, and, and one of the reasons I love it is because it can show you, it, it demonstrates just how incredibly diverse this group was. And in my mind, there's, there's no way 
these people would have come together to do life together if they hadn't had Jesus in common. And when you kind of roll up your sleeves and dig into the list of names, you can understand why. So, so let's just do that for a second. So, so there's Peter, right? Maybe you, if you remember Peter, we've seen, we've seen this guy before. He's kind of impulsive, right? He's the outspoken one who, who, who speaks before he thinks and always ends up sticking his foot in his mouth. Um, and then there's John, John, who, who was the disciple who Jesus loved. Um, he would go on to, to author the gospel of John, and it's the gospel that's all about belief, you know, believe in God's one and only son. And, and what's funny is he's, he's, he's listed here alongside Thomas, and, and it's John who points out Thomas was doubting Thomas. He wrote about that story. And, um, and, and, and you, do you remember what he wrote about him at the end of that? He said, blessed, after telling doubting Thomas' story, he said, blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Do, does that sound of kind of just like a backdoor bash right there? You know, I think it is to a certain extent. And then there's, there's Andrew and there's Peter, and though they, they were brothers. Uh, in the past, they're mentioned together, but here they're separated, and Peter is mentioned first. He's, he's assuming a more prominent position. Um, there's a few other brothers, too, Philip and Bartholomew. They were brothers, but, but they're not mentioned together either. And the same with, uh, with James and John, who were, had the nickname the Sons of Thunder. But it's as if the priority here is not on being blood brothers. It's more on being brothers who are bought by the blood of Jesus. There's, there's a rearranging going on. There's some guys on this list who we actually never hear anything more about. That's kind of crazy to me, right? These are, these are the guys that founded the church. They laid the foundation, and we don't know anything else about them. And in a way that's kind of like life, you know, so many people, some of the most important people live life off the radar screen. We don't hear much about them, but the difference they make, it's, it's hard to overestimate. There's one guy on here who has both a name and a title. That one's worth mentioning. It's, it's not just Simon, it's Simon the Zealot, all right? Do you know what a zealot is? Yeah, a, a zealot is a radical, a zealot is an extremist. This, this, this is someone who probably held some very strong opinions about the Roman Empire. And he, he, he might have even taken part in a riot or two. You know, that's the kind of guy he was. And who is he listed alongside? He's listed alongside Matthew. Matthew was a former tax collector for the Roman Empire. Can you just imagine the kind of conversations that they must have had over dinner? Um, the last guy I mentioned is named Judas, poor guy. Uh, Judas is not Judas the Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. This is another Judas. This is Judas, the son of James. But uh, that must have been tough, you know? Like every time he introduces himself, hey, we heard about you. No, that's not me. I'm the other guy. And he actually, he would go on to actually shorten his name because he's the one who, who, who wrote the book of Jude. So, yeah, he just took the, 
last two words off and just shortened it to Jude. Probably, probably a good idea. But, but this is a very eclectic mix of people. Um, you would expect in here a fair amount of drama and conflict and challenges, but, but Luke describes them as being in one accord. That's the, that's the, that's the word he uses. And, and then you add to that, there was, it wasn't just them, but add to that group was the, were, were the women who served on Jesus' ministry team. And then on top of that, you put in the family dynamic. Jesus' mother, Mary, was there, and, and his brothers were there as well. And, and so the fact that this band of believers would be described as being in one accord it's nothing short of miraculous. There's something supernatural to that. One, one accord means that, that they all shared the same passion, that they were all working off the same page. They were about the same thing, no, no com- competing agendas, no jockeying for position, you know, none of that. And, and here's the thing, there's, it's, it's no coincidence that, that them being in one accord and and their commitment to prayer are mentioned together in the same sentence. While they waited, they devoted themselves to prayer. And that connected them together. That forged a bond between them, a bond of unity. Now, I would like to know a little bit more. I wish Luke had included a little bit more detail here. Like, what did they pray about? How long did they pray? Were they just praising God? Were they just listening? Were they petitioning? I, I don't know. I wish I did. But there is one detail that he does mention. He points out, he wants us to get at, is that they devoted themselves to their time of prayer together. That means that it was something they were intentional about. They weren't just praying when they felt like it, or, or when it was convenient, or when the inspiration hit, they were, they were pressing into it. They were making prayer the main thing. And, and that's a challenge for us to do, to, to connect those dots between being in one accord, experiencing deep relationships with each other, and being devoted to prayer. The, the two go hand in hand. And, and in those seasons when we find ourselves waiting, we can also find ourselves praying. And, and God has put people alongside each of our lives to partner together in prayer with. And as we press into those, we find ourselves moving closer, being more deeply connected, and, and there's something precious uh, that, that comes out of that. This, this morning and every Sunday morning at about 10 o'clock, our, our elder team uh, meets in one of the offices here and we pray. Uh, we pray together. We pray for the, the details of what takes place here each and every Sunday morning. Uh, this, in a couple of Saturdays, uh, we have the opportunity um, to do a, uh, a time of prayer on a Saturday morning for our nation. As we near a time of elections, as we're in the midst of a very contentious season in our world and in our nation, uh, we as the people of God get the chance to to rise above that, to, to not just pray in, in partisan ways, but to pray uh, that, that we would have eyes to see what God is doing, what's really going on, and to ask him uh, to work his perfect will out. Um, 
we're going to get the chance to actually open up our ministry center as a polling center. The town of Kent has asked us to do that. And so, and so before that, we just get the chance to permeate that place uh, with prayer. Prayer is powerful, and we just get the chance to, to, um, to, to participate in that together. Let's keep uh, reading. And there's one more point that we're going to make here, and it says, it says this. Um, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said this, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you, Lord, know, who, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. All right, so there's just a few other snapshots of what they did during the season of waiting, and, and, and they waited, but they also worked. The, the season of waiting became a time of, of preparation. It gave them some space for, for leadership to emerge, to process through some stuff in the past, and to get set for what was coming next. You know, sometimes we can mistake waiting for passivity. We hear waiting and we think that means do nothing. Uh, for the apostles, their, their command that they had been given was do not leave. It wasn't do nothing. And, and what we see here instead is passionate prayer that leads to intentional action. And so the first is a snapshot. This is the, actually the very first snapshot of, of Peter stepping into a lead role in the early church. So if you remember, back in the Gospels, Peter made the good confession. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. And he said, on you, on this rock, this Petros, Peter and Petros, I will build my church. The implication is that Peter was destined to play a lead role in this church coming to be. And this right here, this is him taking his very first baby step into that position. It says, when the time was right, it says, Peter, he stood up and spoke. His first leadership task was to help the apostles process through the past, process through some painful things, to get current and to fill a vacancy. 
So he unpacks this tragic downfall of, of one of their own, Judas Iscariot. He, he points out, guys, Judas was one of us. He was one of our own. He was a core part of our team. And he doesn't say much more about it, but that meant that that betrayal, it didn't just affect Jesus, it, it impacted them as well. And, and what's also fascinating is that, you know, Luke, who wrote about this, he's the doctor, and like a doctor, he fills in all of the gory details about the downfall of Judas. It's like, for me, it's like, this is TMI, you know, just tell me he's done with, but now he goes into the guts of it and everything. But Peter, he frames the whole episode within this unfolding story of Scripture, he, he sees what's happening, and he sees how it fits in, how it connects the dot of what God is doing, what God has been doing, God's great story of redemption that's unfolding. And, and the idea is that each of us are a part of this story. Each of us are a part of the cast. Our lives are all connected to his story, and the choice that we get to make is, what part am I going to play? What, what part am I going to play? And, you know, Judas played one part. Peter played another part. Each of us will play some part. Um, but here at this time, the time had come for that vacancy, for that spot to be filled, to bring that number from 11 back up to 12 again. And, and the principle behind that is that people change, but God's work goes on. The principle is that leaders come and go, they fall, they falter, they fail, but God's agenda doesn't, and it will not. And there's a very sobering kind of reminder here for us that none of us are irreplaceable. Judas wasn't. And that process of replacing, it's, it's messy, uh, it's filled with pain, and, and unfortunately, I've, I've got a front row seat to some of these happening more times than I ever wish I did, seeing leaders fall, but then watching others rise up, fill those vacancies, and recognize how God's work continues to go on. It moves forward. Peter, Peter's getting them ready for this task that they've been called to do this great commission which was to testify about Jesus. That's, that's what he knew was in store for them in that next chapter ahead. He didn't know when it was going to happen, but he was going to be as prepared for that as possible. And so that's why he's looking to fill that vacancy. That's why that mattered so much. And, and if you look at the qualifications he lays out, the right person for this position, it's got to be someone who was with us and with Jesus from the very start, from that moment when he was baptized by John the Baptist till up until a couple of days ago when he was taken back up to heaven. That, that's because having a credible eyewitness testimony was an essential part to be able to bear witness. And, and that's why the Christian faith has stood the test of time. And so, and it's why we, 2,000 years later, 
we can have confidence that the story of Jesus, the claims of Christ are credible because it points back to these guys who were there, who saw it firsthand and who wrote it down for us. So two qualified candidates were found and all right, here we go. Did you notice the way the decision was made? Maybe that irked you a little bit that uh, it says they, 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 they cast lots. That, in case you're not sure what that is, that's a first century way of saying they rolled the dice or they picked a name out of the hat. They did that after they prayed. But I don't know about you, I love the fact that they did that because to me it's a reminder that what matters most is the mandate, not the method. Sometimes we can get hung up on methods, but the mandate is what mattered. Their mandate was to testify about Jesus, and God can work through any number of methods to direct his will and to let his people know uh, what it is that they want to get done. And sometimes, sometimes we can kind of get too spiritual about things. You know, we, we can kind of delay decision making and say, oh, you know what, we need to pray about this for a long time. We need to labor over it. We need to have a, we need to have a survey. We need to fast on it. And all of these things and kind of, they're good things, but sometimes we turn that into, that is the only way to make a decision. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it can actually be a way of punting on decisions, of, of delaying decisions that need to be made and, and, and make us believe that, that uh, you know, we have to kind of pull the answer out of God. Like the same way you pull a tooth that's loose, you know. God's not going to tell us unless we do this, 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 and jump through these hoops. But that's not God. And this is a reminder that we're looking through the book of Acts. And you know what Acts is for? Action. It's for action. And that's what we're seeing here, is we're seeing God's people in action, even while they're waiting. Even while they're waiting. Now, now don't get me wrong. This, this passage is descriptive, okay? It's not prescriptive. So, so in case you're wondering, we are not about to roll the dice at Lakeview, Okay? Um, don't, don't worry. Um, but what we do see is that it's the, it's the mandate that matters. The methods change. The mandate matters. And that same mandate that they were waiting and preparing to put in place, you know what? We're not waiting for that anymore. That's been handed down to us. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we have the opportunity, the mandate to testify, to bear witness about Jesus to a world that needs to know that Jesus is alive, that Jesus came from heaven, that he lived the perfect life that none of us have lived, that he went to the cross and died the death that we should have died. He did it so that we could be reconciled and made right again. And on the cross, he did everything that had to be done. And after three days in the grave, he rose again to life everlasting, and he's coming again. And that requires a response. 
that requires a realignment of every life on this planet to, to, to align our lives around that reality. In scripture, it's called repent and believe. Aligning our lives around the reality of who Jesus is. And we align what we do here as a church around that reality. We do it by making Jesus the main thing. We're not making it about peripheral concerns or other kind of important things that aren't about Jesus, about the truth of who he is. Um, And in each of our lives, we have the opportunity to align our lives, to position ourselves in such a way that we can give testimony, that we can bear witness in the most effective way possible. Our, Our seasons of waiting can turn into opportunities to update, to work, to work through the past, to get current, to position our lives for the mission that we're called to. And how it happened then is a lot like how it happens now. And the same God who who worked through their lives is still at work in our lives, in our church, in the same today. He, he is sovereignly putting us in the places where we are, and sometimes we find ourselves in the waiting room, playing the waiting game. Let's play to win. Let's remember that there is a reason. Let's not waste those moments, but make the most of them so that we can come out the other side positioned to make an eternal impact. Let's pray together.